So as we've mentioned a couple times so far, we are talking about therapy today um, in the context of self-care and wanting to be well. So I realized as I was preparing for today that maybe three-ish years ago um, at a Brownline service, it was the first time I had ever heard someone from up front at a church talk about um, therapy or really? health. That yeah. was the first time? It was the first time. Wow. Um, so this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Vince has been referring to us as, what was your language? It was like three card-carrying card members, carrying members yeah. Yeah. of the therapy club, yeah. which sounds a little bit like a cult. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. But, <laughs> but I found that therapy has been immensely helpful in my own spiritual journey toward being well. Mm-hmm. In the absolutely overwhelming state of things, uh, both internally sometimes and out, um, outward and externally, we respond in different ways. Sometimes it can be tempting to shut down completely or compartmentalize our feelings. Sometimes we focus all of our energy on caring for everyone else but ourselves. And a therapist can be a support and a guide toward getting in the habit of actually taking care of ourselves, which is a really essential step in um, being well and finding deeper meaning in life. We get really excited to talk about this precisely because we are not therapists. Um, It's a joy and a gift to be able to walk with people in empathy, um, in their own walks and journeys, and it's also a joy and a gift to acknowledge our own limits and be able to redirect people to um, professional care in different settings. So that's something that I am just really excited about today. So Vince, do you have questions for us to get yeah, deeper yeah, into this topic? Exactly. Yeah, I think we're going to do this kind of question and answer style. And so uh, especially, um, I'll, I'll kick us off with some questions and we'll, we'll kind of bat it around the three of us. But especially as you all are joining in and listening in, if you have questions that we're not addressing, uh, throw those in the chat and then we'll make sure um, that we're checking uh, as we go. Uh, so feel free to do that at any point while we're gone. Uh, first off, what I was going to ask is what is a time that therapy helped you come to like a big uh, insight or discovery about yourself. Can you tell us about that time? Mm, thanks. Well, hi, I'm Kyle. I'm uh, one of the co-pastors here. Excited to, to be here today with y'all. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I have actually done, you know, my, my mother is a therapist, and so I my first memory of counseling has actually happened when I was, I think, maybe seven or eight years old. Um, as I was experiencing some version of kind of night terrors for a little while and trying to figure out what was going on with that and then progressing uh, throughout my life to to this day of experiencing different types of therapy and counseling in a way that uh, always felt supportive, never felt uh, um, uh, weird to me. I've had therapists I didn't like and I've had therapists that I've liked, but the one that hits my mind right now to think about an insider discovery that I made about myself Um, that it was actually in the context of therapy that I realized um, how much of my decision-making was driven by some existential scales of justice, that there was a sense in my mind, particularly growing up in a religious household, that 
uh, I really had a sense of like my decisions in life were making me fall on either the right side or the wrong side of these existential scales. And it's not so much that I thought I was gonna go to hell or I thought I was gonna go to heaven, but it was a sense of worthiness. Hmm. Like I was worthy and loved as long as I was- and On the right side. On the right yeah. side, exactly. And, and particularly the phrase and stuff that, meant, that mattered to me is that I was a good man. Like our, that is a good guy. Um, and I realized how many of my decisions in my life through therapy were not driven by some sense of, I felt like that's what God wanted from me, not even what was best for me, but a sense of a picture I had of this is what's true of a good man. And in times that uh, pressure and that experience of wanting to fall on that good side of things has even led me to make decisions that were unhealthy for myself, overextending of myself, even harmful of other people um, because uh, like earlier in my life, part of what a good man is somebody who stood up for what was true. Well, 16-year-old Kyle really struggled to understand his lack of awareness of truth. And so I stood up for lots of things that were true that I now look back and don't think are true anymore. But I hurt people because I felt like that's what God would ask of me to be worthy. Or even today in my life, a good man is somebody who's able to say yes when people reach out to him which often is at the sacrifice of my own health, which is then at the sacrifice of my relationships around me because I am not taking care of myself. And so for me, a, a major insight that is interwoven with my experience of faith and God and health that came out of therapy directly was separating out this picture of my worthiness being tied to falling on the right side mm. of what is a good man. Mm. And that, did that happen like in a counselor's office? Like, do you, was it like an aha moment or was it more like dawning, gradual, you figured it out so over the course of many sessions? It was a very gradual process, okay. but there was a singular moment. I remember sitting in therapy and my counselor said to me, what if you're not a good man? Mm. And I was like, hold up, <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say? And he goes, no, 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 what if you're not a good man? Do you still deserve love? Mm. Mm. What if you're not a good man? Do you still deserve the acceptance of other people? Mm. What if you're not a good man? Does God still have good for you? And I was like, that, you just really don't make sense to me because all of those things in my mind are conditional. And he was, and <laughs> I will just, he, he was like, what if you're an asshole? Yeah, yeah. But you're an asshole who gets your needs met. Mm. You're an asshole that has resources to be there for the mm. people that love you, mm. who's loved by God. And my brain still breaks when I think about that. Yeah. But there was a moment of like, I'm fighting this battle to win the argument in my heart that I'm yeah. a good man. What happens if that, what happens if I'm not? What happens if I make choices or a man of privilege, I perpetuate injustice without my awareness? What if I'm doing things in my life that hurt other people? And what if that is just true and actually my path forward is not arguing what I'm a good man, but trying to figure out how I'd be loved and happy and healthy for the people oh. around me. Yeah, that's really, that's really something. That's a, that is definitely a moment that you will never forget. No. Haley, what about you? Like, is it, what's a, what's a discovery or insight and did it happen in a moment? Was it gradual? Tell us. Yeah, I think mine is more gradual than a specific moment, uh, but I've actually been seeing the same therapist for four going on five years Yeah, now. wow, that's great. Um, and it's been wonderful. And I think that one of the biggest things that I have learned throughout that whole process, um, I've learned a lot about grace and having grace for myself and having grace for other people in my life. Um, and it was through therapy that I realized that my view of grace 
before I started therapy was incomplete. Um, I needed the piece of grace that focuses in on validation. So grace before it's not simply just forgiving and forgetting or um, letting people off the hook, letting myself off the hook and kind of overlooking the actual pain and frustration that was really thoroughly present. Um, but grace and a grace that I encountered in therapy um, says both you can forgive and you can move forward and you can validate that the pain and suffering is really, really real. Yeah, both of us. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So holding that tension, I think, has definitely come out of therapy sessions over time. Wow. And it's impacted the way that I look at relationships, knowing um, that I can really care for people and I'm not responsible for their feelings and emotions. Mm -hmm. um, I can validate myself and still be pushed forward to move and change in different ways. So that piece of grace and validation going hand in hand is something that I've um, learned through sessions. Man, that feels so, and that's like one of those things that if you explain it, you're like, yeah, of course, I should be able to hold that. It's sort of like tensions, like we've been talking about on Sunday mornings here, but how you actually do it is mm -hmm. much harder. Um, and did that, so um, just how that happened, did that, did that happen through like, um, I know a lot of what I've done in therapy is like you, you dive back into childhood experiences or sometimes it's more like, um, not necessarily childhood, but like, you know, highly crisis moments or trauma moments. I, I, what, what did that look like for you to make that discovery? Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of rethinking experiences in my life that had impacted me that I had to downplay or ah, um, yes. move past for the sake. And often that was in religious settings mm -hmm. of um, needing to, I think forgiveness was really key in that. But it was also just something I saw modeled in my therapist. Um, who has never made me feel invalidated in any way wow. yeah. and has That's still said, all right, this is the sixth time you've been in my office talking about the same thing. Like, she's never been like, You're not a bad person for that. <laughs> yep, yeah. Like, there's always grace. Hmm. Um, so setting an environment of grace and uh, validation is something that I've just, just by walking into her office, have really felt. Yeah, that's really good. For, for me, I remember... Um, I remember sitting with my therapist and uh, coming to the realization it was like we were talking and talking and talking and, and, and I'm kind of like, I sit down for my sessions and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go. I, I have these three things that I want to talk about and Kyle's laughing because he knows me and he knows that like, I sit down and I have things I want to talk about. And uh, um, I remember like there was like a, probably, it felt like five minutes. It was probably only like a minute of like actual like silence because I was piecing something together in my head after our back and forth. And it was the realization that my uh, upbringing, my childhood, how I experienced growing up basically created a pastor-shaped hole in my heart. <laughs> and like the fact that I am a pastor is like the most predictable thing in the entire world <laughs> based on my childhood. And I remember like initially I, I realized that and it felt like condemning to me. It's like, wait, no, like I did this because I am a, you know, like I, I have like strong convictions to help people. And it's, it, you know, there, there's, there's like noble motivation behind me becoming a pastor. But really it's just like it was the most predictable thing in the world because I look at the way that I grew up and the way that uh, different, um, you know, hurts or things that I picked up along the way of like realizing like, I will, uh, I, will, I will elevate somebody else's need before I will address mine. Mm -hmm. um, that if, uh, if, 
if everybody else is in crisis, it's my job to be the one who holds it together. And, uh, and so there's like all of these little like breadcrumbs that I was following in that moment of silence before my therapist where I realized like, I'm not original, I'm not, you know, like special, I'm not super noble, or I'm not as, you know, as, as motivated by, by good, you know, will toward all humankind as I think I am. I'm so predictable. Of course I became a pastor. But then once I was able to like get over like the hit to my ego that was of like, oh yeah, okay, that's fine. You're predictable. You fell into this because this is, you know, the, you're just kind of following the next thing. You're, you're following your nose to the next thing. That doesn't have to be something that makes me feel bad about myself. That can actually be beautiful for me to embrace that, for me to be okay with that and not run from that reality. And so, so much happened in that moment of silence with my therapist of just like, oh, but hey, you know, similar to like what you, what you were saying, it's like, what if you're not a good man? It's like, what if, for me, I think it was something like, what if I'm not as original or as uh, convicted yeah. or as like, you know, motivated by, you know, my own choices as I think I am, but I'm just kind of like, I just stumbled into this. Mm. That's okay, right? I can still be loved, I can still be acceptable, I can still be good, so. And you can still be a good pastor. Just, I can still be a good pastor, There's exactly. a sense of like, without that narrative, there's this threat of like, am I uniquely called and crafted and do this? Right. Or, or is this a logical outpouring of who I am? Right, because and, that would make me think like, oh, I'm gonna be bad at this because yeah. I'm, just, I'm just doing what life laid out for me. Yeah, yeah. on spiritual terms, there's like, oh, that's, you know, you're just, that's somehow lesser than yeah. than somebody that like overcame obstacles to become yes. a pastor, which is yes. not true at all. So yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. Um, so here's some of what we've uh, kind of uh, addressed already in in setting this up. But I would love to lean into is like there are obstacles to getting therapy. There is stigma around therapy, much less so today, I think, than probably when we were kids. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But still, very much so. So I'm wondering who in your life or in your community around you made therapy feel safe for you? That's a good question. I mean, it, my mother, I mean, my sure. mother being a therapist and uh, doing that process for me, but I think the truth is, um, it was also friends of mine that I knew became healthier through their experience. I have a couple, like when I was in college, there's a group of guys that were like young professionals, maybe four or five years older than me, uh, that were connected with our church at the time. And a couple of them were incredibly open about their own experiences with therapy and their own experiences about how, how it was making them have fuller and happier lives. And they seemed normal. I remember one of them was like a teacher, one of them was like an engineer. They had healthy relationships. It didn't seem like these were people that uh, were like super dysfunctional in any way. Like they seemed like good guys who were reali who realized through therapy the things in their way from a full life. And yeah. so hearing them just tell their stories made it more normalized for me to say, hey, if I'm recognizing I need just need some support right now, that it doesn't have to be like I'm in crisis or something has to be ter yeah. terribly heavy. Mm -hmm. That it, and actually this isn't. Um, I think I even in times of therapy it feels like it's this really uh, like heavy, serious thing where you're dealing with like crisis things all the time, but just seeing them just kind of talk about how it helped their journey of self-understanding, helped them see how God showed up in their lives, helped them be better husbands, workers, family members yeah. and stuff. I just saw them and I was like, okay, well this feels a little bit more uh, like just a helpful tool that we that I can access rather than like you know going to the ER because my arm is broken yep. from a mental health perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about you, Haley? Yeah, I think that 
that shift from seeing um, therapy as reactionary to a really big crisis or event versus um, if we're going to keep that metaphor going of like preventative care of yeah. being in the yeah. just kind of daily practice of being well instead of waiting until things really escalate. Um, but I had a similar experience. Um, my mom did try to take me to therapy in high school, so I'll give her credit for that one. Mm -hmm. I was not having it. I was really bratty about it um, and just figured I wasn't a therapy person. In college, I saw a lot of friends really benefit from it, but still was like, yeah, but I don't need therapy. Like, I never was in the mindset of, like, this is bad and Jesus doesn't want this, but yeah. I was still in the mindset of, like, eh, I just, I'm not a therapy person. Yeah. Um, but it took kind of getting to one of those crisis moments to be like, I, this is no longer optional. This is something I really need right now. Yeah. It's the care that I need, but it was because mm -hmm. other people in my life had normalized it so much that that was more accessible for me. Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. for me, also friends. Just hearing other friends talk about uh, normalizing it, talking about it as if it's something that anybody can do and anybody should do. And that's, that's what changed it for me. Um, so here's a question for y'all, like act, putting on our pastor hats. Um, how are, how, what's that? I forgot my pastor oh, hat. Oh, you forgot it. Oh, darn it. Well, you'll have to you know, pretend. Um, how, <laughs> how are spiritual health and therapy intertwined, overlapping? How do they feed each other? How, how are they not overlapping? I think, Haley, you rightly earlier pointed out, you know, there, there are some ways where um, pastoring and, 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 um, and mental health uh, professionals overlap, and there's some ways where they don't. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, what, what, how, does, how, does that, how does that play out? What do you guys see? Yeah, I mean, I think in many ways they are, it's almost impossible to try to find spiritual health if you are not also taking care of mental health, and it's yeah. almost impossible to find mental health if you're not taking care of spiritual health. I mean, historically, they were conflated with each other. Like last week, we were talking in the Bible group about uh, this experience of uh, mental health being equated with spiritual um, affliction um, and this idea that like throughout our history uh, it's only been recently that we begin to understand the difference between mental and spiritual life I think historically if you came in with a with say anxiety or came in with experiences of depression for the first you know several millennia of human existence that would be considered a spiritual thing yeah. so I think that this even separating those things out is a more recent thing like honestly who were the therapists of the Middle Ages, they were clergy. Yeah. It was the people yeah. you would go to and talk about what's happening and listening. Um, and so to me, I see this intertwining just by the nature of what we see throughout history, uh, but I also see it intertwined because uh, so much of my own experience of understanding who God is and the, the realities of what is he calling me towards is understanding the unique blocks and things that prevent me from living out a full life. And so that a lot of that stuff is about my, like what is mental health, what is spiritual health when you talk about the formational understandings of the world that were put into us as kids, the, the deep shames that were put into us when we were little people, the, the frameworks of what we saw the world, and we're trying to live that out today. You know, mental health is understanding what those things are and realizing the blocks and trying to, to work through those in a way that creates healthy life right now. Spiritual life is recognizing the ways that we were hurt and injured as a child and see God bringing healing to us right now. I think that there's just uh, some innate realities that, that 
because you can't necessarily look at a mental health injury, mm -hmm. like you can look at a broken arm yeah. and say that's the mental health injury, in the same way you can't see what spiritual health is in the way that a broken arm is. Mm -hmm. And so I think our ability to separate those out because both of them have somewhat of a non-physically tangible reality right. to themselves, right. there's gonna be clean. It's about being a healthy person. Uh, now I do think there's difference between the two, but I actually think that if we are not acknowledging both of them hand in hand, uh, we're not, we can't move forward with either one of them. Yeah, I like that. I like that we, it's acknowledging the fact that there's so much overlap and um, we're, we're searching for the same thing. Therapists and pastors or spiritual directors or things like that are all searching for the same holistic health for, uh, for people, uh, but maybe the tools in your tool belt that you're using are slightly different and the different situations might call for different tools. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about you, Haley? What do you see about the overlap and the, how they feed each other? Yeah. Um, I go back to this uh, Kierkegaard quote all the time about, uh, with God's help, I will become myself. Hmm. And I think that really gets at this relationship of discovering more about yourself leads to discovering more about God hmm. and vice versa. Hmm. Um, I think a lot of areas of life are very solutions driven. We want um, the most efficient way to do things. We want a clear cut answer. And both therapy and following Jesus are not that. If you go into a therapy session and you're expecting like, all right, two to four sessions in, I'm going to have this problem solved. I'm going to know exactly how to handle life and I'm out. Um, that's, you're going to be disappointed if that is your mindset heading in. Um, but it's more so about the, the hard work, the ongoing work. And that, I've seen that too in my relationship with Jesus. Um, just the ongoing patience, really, that's required for caring for yourself and for discovering more about the kingdom of God around you. Um, it's helped me re-look at some of the stories of healing mm -hmm. in the Bible, yes. too. Kyle, yeah. I know you mentioned healing as well. Um, there's one particular story in John where there's a man who is laying by a pool, wanting healing from those waters, um, and he cannot walk and is experiencing suffering, and it's for a crazy long amount of time, like 38 years or something. Um, and Jesus comes up to him and sees him and says, do you want to be made well? And that is the most ridiculous question to someone <laughs> who is like blatantly suffering. Hmm. But I think it's really, really important here um, because Jesus sees this person, names that there is something going on that is getting in the way of that person living a full and flourishing life, but he lets him name that he wants to be healed, mm. that he wants to um, move into a life that has more freedom in it, and that he trusts that Jesus is going to both help initiate that and support that journey. Yeah. Um, and I think that that naming piece, and we see that it's a pattern in the stories of healing, that Jesus is constantly um, asking or letting people tell their own stories, name their own pain. And I think that that's really essential in therapy as well, um, that you can't like shove other people into therapy, that you need to be in a space where you are willing to name the pain that's going on and walk toward healing. Yeah, that makes me think of the first step of 12-step uh, programs like Alcoholics Anonymous, is that we, we named for ourselves that we were we were powerless over and needed a, a power higher than ourselves to restore us to sanity. And there, there is something about naming it for yourself that's actually, if, if that's not a part of the process, um, 
can, can you even find you know, mental yeah. health? Can you even find spiritual health? Um, I don't know. Yeah, and I think it's, it's empowering, and that piece yes. is really important, yeah. Yeah. that it takes away the shame of needing some type of healing or help. Hmm. Um, that even to be with, able to say it out loud. Yeah, yes. and even with the, um, I've definitely seen a shift of people being more vocal about being in therapy, um, people being more vocal about the struggles that they're facing in life, and I think that's really important. Um, because it does help dissipate some of that shame, some of that underlying, like, I don't need this, that I think still comes up. Absolutely. I mean, why, what, what did we all just share? Somebody else modeled for us mm-hmm. doing this so that yeah. we would do it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, that, that's exactly right. Um, I just wanted to flag, um, I think, a really interesting uh, back and forth going on in our chat, and I'm going to uh, bring it back to you guys. So there's a, there, there's a, a question. Um, uh, uh, Laura, if we can bring up Ben's original question, I think is really great. Um, and so it says, uh, Ben, wait, Kyle. You know Ben, so he's like, wait, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> so are you, you're saying that if you're perpetuating injustice, but you're taking care of yourself and taking care of those around you, that's okay? Like, you know, like, the, I think it gets us back to like this tension thing, right, that we've been talking about of like, what does it look like to find mental health when nothing that we're doing is, you know, is just our own individual selves? We're also part of this bigger world where we have all of these tensions of trying to figure out, like, oh my gosh, like, how do I be, how do I be a responsible global citizen? How do I be a responsible person who has privilege in a world where plenty of people are on the underside of society? How do we make that work? Therapy actually, I think, I think the reason I want to bring it back to us is like actually therapy helps us helps us tease out that tension because mm-hmm. it very much is a tension. I think that's why it was so great to to bring up. Yeah, so you know, there's I, I noticed Ben's comment when it popped up, um, and I had two initial thoughts. Uh, the first thought is I will speak to how you live with that tension. And so specific, I think this is specifically speaking speaking to my experience of no longer uh, trying to let go of this idea of I'm trying to be a good man. Mm. Well, the first thing to say is this is why I think mental health and spirituality are so important because each of our battles and each of our growths are so different from each other. Mm -hmm. And they're so informed by who we are and where we're positioned in society. And so I think there might be somebody here that maybe the voice to you is like, you should consider being a good man. Um, yeah, and the voice to the me, voice to you is not it, the same as the, the voice, voice to, to me else. is like yeah. you don't need to stop trying to be a good man. And I think this is part of the battle because of who I am and how I was formed, the spaces I came up with, and what parents that were pastors and counselors, the amount of burden that I take on every single day, the amount of response. Like nobody's ever like the risk for me is not falling short of my responsibilities mm. in life and being like, I'm just gonna go play video games all day. That's not mm. ever gonna be my risk. My risk is gonna be, I'm gonna totally burn myself out because I'm gonna take on responsibilities that are not mine. That is not the same battle for everybody. So somebody probably is not is not gonna be good advice for you mm. to say stop, don't try to be a good man. Um, but that is my battle, and that is part of my story that therapy had to lead me into, and it led me into this interwo- interweaving of realizing what interwoven, interwoven, interwoven. <laughs> interwoven. Uh, good thing grammar is not required to be a good man. Um, so, but to me, there's a real sense of even my motivation for why I do what I do is not built in an authentic desire for the world to be a better place. It's built in to a place of fear that my worthiness is gonna leave. Yeah. And so for example, if you're stepping into places of systemic racism 
as a man with privilege and my motivation is I want to be a good man and that's why I'm going to do this work, that comes out. That comes out in all sorts of deeply corrosive ways that undermine long-lasting change. If I'm, and actually necessarily, to me, for me to be part of big picture change, I have to be coming from a place where I know that I am loved and accepted and okay, mm. and actually part of a deep, fuller life for me is living in a world where other people have deeper and fuller lives. And so the reason I wanna fight systemic racism is not about my own virtue or not about me feeling guilty about anything. It's about me seeing the innate honor and value and dignity of every human being, recognizing that our society doesn't reflect that, and wanting to then be part of everybody experiencing a deeper and fuller life because that's part of mine, which will necessitate that I'm addressing systemic racism in our world. But it's, it's important to me that I'm first recognizing that if I don't deal with my own stuff, I'm gonna actually walk into that attack and actually undermine tons of stuff, particularly as a white guy, if all I'm doing is alleviating my desire to, to feel okay. Hmm. Hmm. That is some really interesting texture. You know, I think, a thought that I have just thinking about um, holding tensions and, um, and especially when it comes to our own personal healing journeys. Another thing I wonder, I wonder this about you because I, th I think that this feels true for me is like maybe at a different time in a different season with different presenting circumstances, the message might be the reverse to you. Like, you know, you were talking about how Absolutely. like it could, one message could be true for one person and another message could be true for another person. It's very, you know, uh, focused on individual circumstances. It also could change over time for you as an individual. And so like I, I'm, I'm thinking about how there was a period in time where a lot of my um, I'm mentioning this discovery about like, you know, my childhood creating a pastor shaped hole in my heart. Um, there was a period in time where what, I, what my task before me was, was to process the frustration with that, of like, you know, what the heck, man? Like, how, like th this, this is the childhood that I had, like, and, uh, but then there was a season of time where what was called of me, what, was, what, what I was being beckoned into, was not, not expressing frustration, but sort of like owning and piecing back my identity together in a new way. And, uh, and so even within the same person, I wonder if a different message could be applied at a, at a, at a different time. And, and that just, I, I don't know, I mean, it kind of gets back to something that has been a drumbeat for us lately at Brownline, which is there really are no universals in this. Like we really do need, we, we really do need this, this sense of there is a living God that can speak moment to moment mm -hmm to different circumstances. Because if I try and take my experience and make it a universal and then go and paste it on somebody else, that, that, that's just like sometimes it will work, but sometimes it won't. And that's how people get injured. That's how people often get injured in religious settings. Yeah, everyone goes, yeah. my pastor told me I don't need to be a good person anymore. <laughs> that's that's right. Yeah, I mean, a... like, there we go. There, that's what it is. Well, and I think this is why mental health feeds spiritual health is because um, I actually think that's the way our spiritual life works. Like, for example, maybe in seasons, there's like times of quiet meditative prayer are absolutely feeding us and resourcing us. And in other moments, uh, we need to be like, a journaling's our jam. In other moments, it's like listening to yep. music and singing out loud. Jam. And I think that uh, <laughs> what we need to do is is our, our mental health pieces help inform that. Um, sometimes we need to be in a, real, a group of other people and constantly sharing our lives with them. 
and that is a spiritually important thing. However, if my mental health is in a place where I feel unsafe, I feel unseen because of my own woundings, it actually can be really dangerous to walk into a small group setting and have that spiritual experience with other people because I'm not safe to share myself yet. Um, and so I think that we have to realize that we need to understand ourselves, understand our woundings, understanding our traumas, understanding where we're at, and actually the way God meets us from a spiritual level can be adjusted to that. And simultaneously, I think our approaches to spiritual life can help feed our mental health, like learning meditation practices that are, so this has been big for me, learning practices from a spiritual level that help me cry and grieve. Mm so that I can work through my experiences of trauma in my mental health. They, they work, they're, they're different, but these things need to feed each other and they need to be seen mm. in the individual cases of who we are from moment to moment. Mm. You were gonna yeah, say something, I'm, Haley? I'm realizing right now too, I think the seasons in life where therapy was really challenging and destabilizing for me, I found rest in faith and in church settings and in my own spiritual life. And then the seasons where I was experiencing a lot of unrest and challenge in my spiritual life, therapy became that like resting place. Mm. And I think maybe that's some of that, mm. how they go hand in hand. I, that's really um, interesting, yes. Because that's gonna shift in different ways too, that there's going to be times where um, you're wrestling with your understanding of God, your understanding of community, um, that that is going to take place in a communal setting and you're going to need to find individual respite from that. And there's other times where there's just so much inner deep work that is taking place that you're going to need to find a greater community outside of yourself to rest in. Yeah, yeah. What, um, if we can go uh, continue to get broader and broader where we're, where we're talking about like, there are lots of different individual experiences. They might be very different. Um, can we, maybe we can just flag a few of those uh, to help. What are common obstacles to um, somebody experiencing something good in therapy, and then how 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 might we recommend like oh here's here's something to try to get over that common obstacle? I mean, the two obstacles that feel the most pressing are logistics and uh, and and I guess some version of shame. Okay, I think. yeah. Uh, Can you take those uh, like one at a time? Logistics is does my insurance cover this? Yes. Yep. I probably got to call them to figure out what that looks like. I'm tired. I don't want to call them. Um, <laughs> it's the I called a counselor and they were full. Well, I tried. I don't really need like it's like I don't yeah. want to have to be constantly calling. It's a lot of work. It's logistics. It's figuring out yeah. what's covered. What's it's the logistics of what is my copay? What do yeah. I have to pay for that? Can I afford that? I don't really. Do I really want to spend money on a counselor or do I prefer brunch? I prefer brunch. <laughs> um, like. These are real things, and I think that to belittle how much of an obstacle that, like, yeah. and our healthcare system is not it's ideal. It's complicated, yes. Um, and so I think one of the reasons that usually it takes crisis for people to get there is the logistics of yeah. finding a good counselor and, and getting to a place where it's going is, is a big hurdle, it's legitimate. And then the second one, is there a little bit of shame? And that's the piece that there's a, so, just like communion every week, when we participate, we acknowledge we're flawed people that need help in life. That's a, but you have to walk into counseling and, and realize that there's things you're working on. And it's just, it's hard to feel like you're at a place to say, I'm not okay and I need help. Um, and I just think that it's hard to get there. And I, and, and I think the shame of acknowledging that, um, and I think for a lot of us, there's some real, like, you've crossed a threshold if you're in therapy. Like, you're not just like a normal person having a hard time. You're like a person who needed 
mental health intervention. Mm. And I don't, I don't think that's true at all. Like I, to me, I think every single person would benefit from counseling. It's just whether this is the right moment for your life for that. Um, but I think that internal identity of like, who yeah. am I? And I, I think those are, when we're all exhausted all of the time, it's hard to get your internal energy moving to push past that shame. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to like get on the phone with your insurance company to figure out who will cover what. Yeah, Haley, any yeah. other, or on those, those same topics or other obstacles that you would speak to? Yeah, a couple things. Um, so I think an obstacle of actually being able to be fully present in mm. a therapy session, mm. um, your therapist doesn't care if you're cool or funny <laughs> or anything like that. Um, the number of sessions I've left and been like, did I do therapy right today? <laughs> like, did I do it right? None of that matters. Um, <laughs> there's something there. And I think it's a, it's a really big shift yes. um, to be in a setting where it's not a mutual yes. relationship. Yes. Um, that you are not there to care be for a them. listening ear for your yeah. therapist yes. or care for them in any way. Um, that it's just a, it's a strange environment if you haven't been in that before. Um, oh, I had another one. What was it? Therapist, how are you doing today? Yeah. How you I know, I have to check myself every time. Yeah, like, that's like, legitimately difficult. We, yeah. You guys are all really nice people of goodwill, right? Like, it's, it's hard not to do that. It's, mm -hmm. yeah. oh, I don't know. I had another one, but it'll come back to that's you. That's okay, it'll come back to you. So one thing, just to speak to the, uh, especially the logistics one, mm -hmm. um, uh, I noticed also um, uh, Amy mentioning in the chat um, that quite a few insurance companies have started covering counseling in ways that they were not previously, yep. and so um, so that that's a that's a big thing. Is one um, one here's here's a, a a way that spiritual health and um, and uh, and therapy uh, speak to each other. One way that we can help, and we have helped a lot of people as pastors is uh, by helping uh, overcome some of those logistical yeah. um, challenges. And so, um, uh, Laura, if I can have you put up the, um, the, uh, our counseling uh, sheet. So we've got um, a sheet that we make available uh, at any time for anybody. This is a way for you to get started in your search uh, for, uh, for counseling, if that's something that is good for you. We have a QR code where you can get this digitally. So if you just pull out your camera and take a, a picture of that uh, QR code, you can get our resources list. This is a starting point, and, uh, and what, we have, uh, what we've been able to do for a lot of people who are encountering that logistical obstacle of getting started with counseling is give them a few places to call, help call some places, uh, maybe call some insurance companies and try to figure out like what's covered, what's not covered, and again, reminding you all, like things have changed even since COVID-19 began. There is a lot more coverage for, uh, for, for therapy services than there was before, probably likely in your own uh, insurance uh, coverage. Yeah, one of those big changes is that they, it has now been approved to cover telehealth Mm -hmm. uh, for the indefinite future, which means that you don't have to go into an office. You can do it all over Zoom or, and things like that, which means that increases the pool of potential therapists you can reach out to um, because you don't actually have to make it into a specific office every week. Um, and it allows you to, I think, have a little bit more flexibility. Like, I've done therapy at work. It, like, it's just taking a break and going into a different office and done that that way. So. Um, there's some real logistic realities to this moment, which is also most therapists are pretty busy. And so yeah. there is a chance that you may want to think if the first therapist you reach out to isn't taking new clients, it's because 
uh, people are really busy right now because a lot of people have come to the realization that they need some support this last year. And so if the first person doesn't have availability, uh, don't quit there. You can expand your search and then you can also get on wait lists. And so if you're not actually ready right now to start, you can reach out to somebody and get on their wait list and plan for like a couple months from now and at least get that going for, for when you want to set yourself up. Yeah, this is great. I'm also seeing in our chat more um, suggestions of really great uh, avenues to go, which is good. And also, uh, we might reach out to you. If you mentioned a really good therapy experience that you've had, we might reach out to you and get some more information on that because we're looking to expand our resource list. Um, any final tips that you two would offer, pr practical takeaways for us yeah. um, before we pray? Yeah, I think, I mean, this goes hand in hand with what you were just saying, but... Um, there's something to not waiting until you are in the absolute depths of whatever you are experiencing to reach out and get help in some way. Um, one of my favorite things to talk about is just the everydayness of having a relationship with Jesus. And I think it is the same with therapy, just the everydayness of normalizing, um, needing care and uh, a place of rest and growth that is just a normal part of life. Yeah. And if you do wait until the, um, the really, really like big struggles to try and find help, it takes way more energy. Mm. I think the practice that you do um, with having a little bit more capacity, it sets a pattern and a rhythm for when you actually are in the, the weeds, like really struggling there. Um, so there's something too about like not waiting, but being a little bit more proactive about that. Yeah, very good. Kyle? Yeah, so I have a few tips that uh, I've passed around that have been, I think, consistently helpful. The first one is not every therapist is a good therapist. Just, they're just not. Not every teacher's a good teacher, not every pastor's a good pastor. So if you have a therapist you don't like, you just find a different therapist, that's okay. Um, we're not saying do one session and quit, um, but just because you've had a mediocre to bad experience with therapy does not mean therapy isn't for you. Um, and I have a few uh, questions that I like to ask a therapist or suggest other people to ask a therapist uh, when you're first considering them that might give you a feel of whether this person is gonna be a good fit. Um, first off, just to realize this is not a one-way street. It's not that you're just the, the person that's you know acquiescing to them. You need to hire them. They have to feel like a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. And it's actually important. You're not just trying to get them to say, yes, will you see me? You wanna ask them some questions to see if they're a good fit for you. And so there's, there's four questions that I tend to ask or encourage other people to ask. The um, and the first one is, what is your approach to therapy? Every, every therapist has an approach. They're emotional, uh, uh, f emotional family therapy. It's uh, family systems therapy. There's a, there's a million different approaches and I, there's different things that are good for different stuff. It's less important uh, that they're doing the specific approach you look for. It's more important, can they tell you what their approach is? Mm -hmm. And even more importantly, can they tell you without being defensive of it? Some, some therapists, a good therapist, will be happy to tell you that why they do what they do. Mm. And if there's a sense of like, well, I don't wanna have to defend myself, there's probably something going on with that therapist. I might suggest you to move on. Mm. Um, my second, one, my second um, suggestion is if you have something specific you're working through, anxiety, depression, postpartum, marriage, whatever it may, whatever's going on, just ask them, have you had experience working with somebody with anxiety before? Have you had experience with somebody? Um, and, and then once they, if they, hope, if they say no, 
Uh, you could maybe still try it depending on what it is. If it's just I'm working through family stuff, may, maybe you can figure it out. But particularly if you're recognizing I'm working through anxiety, some, I'm working through postpartum, I'm, like you want a therapist that has done that and you're not the first time. Um, so that's the second one. Once they've said, yes, I've worked with, so marriage counseling before, yes, I've done this before, I, then you ask, what do you look for in uh, progress for somebody that's coming here with anxiety. That you want them to actually have a picture of what a healthier anxiety experience of anxiety looks like, a healthier marriage looks like. You, they're not going to say that we're going to fix it, but they want to say, well, what I look for for somebody with anxiety is people that begin to understand their triggers more, so they understand what provokes anxiety and set in frameworks in their life to be able to to help care for themselves and that. So that's, that's the two-part question, which is, have you worked on this before? And then what are, you, what are you looking for in that? And then the I would say the last part in this is just asking, um, asking them what, uh, what their availability is. And what I mean, like just literally, if you have counseling set up at a time that is gonna be stressful for you to make it every single week, hmm. uh, and they only have counseling at two o'clock on Tuesdays, and you're like, I'm not gonna pull that off, they have to, it has to actually work for your life. And so, uh, just real quickly, what's your approach? Have you worked with this specific thing? Uh, what do you look for as a positive outcome for that? And then what is your, what's your openings look like um, for my ability to do that? And usually if you get through those four answers, it's not even as much about the what they say. What they say. Yeah, yeah. It's how they said it. Yeah. Uh, do they feel yeah. like they do it? Um, the last piece is, uh, I would say every counselor, and when they talk about what they're looking for, at some point probably should mention having other people in your life. Your therapist should not be the only person in your life that's a support. Every good therapist is gonna say, and you have other people in your life that are helping you with this. Um, that if the therapist has a relationship where they feel like they're the only person you go to for things, that could be a problematic experience. Um, and so you certainly, in what they're looking for, wanna see some level of you're connecting they're with pointing other, you You're outward. pointing you yeah. outward mm -hmm. to other people too. Mm -hmm. So that's just a quick suggestion on how you might be able to filter who might be a good mental that's, health practitioner for you. That is really good. Haley, any final comments just after hearing that or is that, does that cover it? Yeah, I think the network of support piece is really big in the yeah. same way that we are not therapists. Your therapist likely is in another role in your life that yeah. you need. Mm -hmm. um, so the ability to for them to refer out if yes. they don't have that, um, that specialty, that uh, training and everything, I think in any profession, knowing your limits is a really big thing, but yeah. when it's a helping profession, it's even more important. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, awesome. Thank you, everybody, who helped uh, also in the chat kind of keep this uh, conversation lively and bring new things and new questions into it. Uh, we're appreciative. Kyle, can I ask for you to pray for us? Absolutely. Close up? Yeah. Well, Jesus, we are so grateful that you are a God who cares about us being healthy and full and alive. Uh, just as we see throughout your life, you bringing belonging to people looking for belonging, you addressing shame for people that are fighting shame, you bringing healing to those who are looking for healing. I pray that we would find that too, Lord, that we would live in a space in our world where we are bold in our ability to ask for what we need, and that the ways that mental health uh, is so interwoven with spiritual health that we would find partners and therapists that would help us do that well. That we would be those that find fruit in those experiences to understand ourselves more and therefore understand you more. 
Um, God, I pray that we would be a community around each other to help bridge uh, the, the hurdles, bridge the obstacles in our place, in our way to be able to get what we need and that you would help us in this moment even filter, is this the right time for me to look into this or not? The answer is not necessarily yes for everybody, uh, but that if the answer is that you would help us as a community support each other in that. Amen. <laughs>